Welcome to the Decent Crypto Podcast. Today is part three of Bitcoin Month. We are live from New York City. Matt, what are we talking about today? We're going to talk about Taro, Taproot Asset Representation Overlay. Oh, um, baby. <laughs> We're getting into the meat of it already. <laughs> um, you know, it's it, this one's actually really cool because I, I knew almost nothing about this. And then one mm -hmm. of our listeners uh, like hit me up on Telegram like, hey, man, some of the stuff you guys talked about last time, like Taro, Taro is the solution for this. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, it's it's like really cool to have that like audience feedback. Um, keep keep tweeting at us. Keep hitting us up on Telegram. Uh, we are here with the special requested Taro episode. Mm. Um, so, Karan, why does Bitcoin only have Bitcoin? Why does Bitcoin only have Bitcoin? Yeah, um, like on, on Ethereum, you have all sorts of good stuff, right? You have Shiba Inu, mm. you have Pudgy Penguins, you have uh, mm. USDC. What's good? Like mm. Bitcoin is, is just Bitcoin. What, what's going on there? That's a great question. Good place to start. So the reason for that is that Ethereum has a open smart contracting language, right? So, or smart contract language. So you can basically program anything, any kind of contract, open-ended kind of contract onto the Ethereum blockchain, right? So the programming language for Ethereum is Turing complete. So you can basically create new tokens as, as a part of the contracts that you write. Bitcoin doesn't allow for that. It doesn't allow for this open-ended kind of scripting. You have to stay within certain confines of what the protocol allows. It's very much constrained. And the native token for everything that happens on Bitcoin is Bitcoin itself is the native token, right? So that's the kind of yeah. simple answer. Yeah, it's this lack of like Turing completeness, right? Mm -hmm. uh, where with with a Turing complete like state machine, um, you can represent arbitrary logic how, however much you want, right? Um, with Bitcoin, it's limited to its own set of of opcodes. Um, mm. Bitcoin does have the ability to script, and and we'll get a little bit into that later. But it's just a much harder system to introduce flexibility to. Um, mm. but that doesn't mean people haven't tried, right? Mm. Um, like, uh, like what's good, what's good with these colored coins? Uh, I've, I've yeah, heard so a little bit about it. Yeah. So colored coins are really, in a way, they're kind of the first attempts at NFTs, right? Um, they are a way of storing more than just transaction data, uh, within a transaction. So along uh, I forget technically how they work, right? What, what was it? So like along with each transaction, you set another, you send another set of data or that has basically a representation of like a color, right? Um, yeah. And only specific like, like wallets green, that blue. have, yeah, like literally just the colors uh, on the, on the color wheel. Um, like red coin? Uh, wait, what? Like red coin, blue coin, green coin? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, basically, they, like, these colored coins are only, like, if uh, these wallets interact with these specific coins, right? Like, uh, I, I don't know how, like, the technical kind of breakdown of this is, uh, actually. 
Um, I mean, there there have been a few different uh, like uh, approaches technically to how exactly color coins work. What, one of them that I like read the most about uh, uses something called an op return code. Mm. Um, so this is pretty interesting. So uh, op return is like a field you can add to a Bitcoin transaction. And for a little while, uh, wallets were actually letting you use this as a sort of like comment section on your Bitcoin transaction. Um, op return, I want to say, uh, is like the code that's used for like canceling or like voiding a transaction within like the Bitcoin like scripting language. So it's op underscore return. And so it just like returns. It just stops like processing, right? So if you have, um, like, say you have like a, like a relatively, like they're simple Bitcoin transactions, right? I yeah. send you Bitcoin, right? But they're more complex transactions that might create multiple outputs. So I send you a little Bitcoin. And then I also send to another output, say zero Bitcoin or one Satoshi or something. Right. And then, um, and that one can have like an associated script with it. So for example, like a multi-sig, right, is like at its core, kind of like a script, right, that, that says, hey, if you have three of these five uh, signatures, then send the Bitcoin. Mm. It's a kind of script. You mm. can have sort of like more complex scripting as well. Um, but op return is like an instruction you would put in your script to say, you know what, fuck it, just like stop. Like don't, don't succeed, right? Mm. Um, and uh, op return codes are kind of interesting, right? Because... When you have like a, a UTXO, like when you have an, an output that uses op return, um, it can kind of be disregarded from the chain, right? Like that, that can get pruned because it's not spendable, right? It'll never succeed. It's just a complete, it's, it's like a useless piece of data that's sitting on the blockchain, right? Okay. Um, but it does get processed, right? So if it gets like, it gets relayed to the miner or whatever they do process it or they add it to the block? Like what happens exactly to that piece of data? It'll get added to the block, but um, it can get what's called pruned, right? Um, along with like, if I sent another transaction that sent like zero Bitcoin, that could mm -hmm. get pruned um, as well, right? Uh, and so when I say pruned, I mean by like, you know, depending on what kind of archival node you're running, like a full node may not keep a copy of the op return transactions. Mm. Um, so, you know, for, for a while, people were using it as a way to store data on chain. Um, but interestingly, this was kind of contentious. So op return, um, because these transactions are just like not usable, right? Um, and it clearly is just only for the storage of data on chain. A lot of people saw it as bloating the Bitcoin blockchain as like a way that as like a, a low cost, like data storage solution. And, you know, in the limit case, there's like infinite demand for data storage. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of people were like, yo, like we didn't come together to build like an, irrev an irrevocable database of data. We came together to build an irrevocable database of financial transactions. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so there, there was a fair amount of contention within the Bitcoin community about about whether or not like op return should even be like allowed as its own like standalone output from a transaction. Um, and wasn't wasn't Vitalik one of the authors of the white paper? Oh, I don't uh, know. For colored coins? <laughs> for colored uh, coins? Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure. So you can um, see how I mean you can see how with like a transaction like I could send 
a little bit of Bitcoin along with a, another transaction in like one output of a transaction and then another output of that same transaction, I could have like, you know, this color is red off return, right? Um, or like mm. this color is green off return. And so what happened actually, like these colored coins, you know, this contention in the community, did they got, kind of just stop as a social consensus or was there some kind of software upgrade to kind of stop this kind of behavior or what, what ended up happening? I mean, for, first off, a lot of wallet software providers stopped offering the capacity to attach op return to a transaction, right? Mm -hmm. um, like obviously you could do it programmatically and just like broadcast your transaction to the network. But if you're using like a, like a front end, like UI for like a wallet, um, then you would no longer have access to like writing, writing that data. Also, it got reduced from, I think it was, I think it was like 80 bytes to like 40 bytes um, for the people that were trying to use this. And then, you know, overall, like this sort of approach is a little bit like inelegant because if you're going to start worrying about op return, you have to worry about all of the op return, right? You can't just worry about like one address or like the piece of data that you care about, right? Um, you have to worry about like all of this additional data. And then and... you're censoring transactions basically at that point. Mm -hmm. At that point, you know, if you only let certain op returns go through and certain not certain, then you're like censoring transactions basically, right? Well, I mean, you could have censorship at like the minor level, but the, the bigger issue, cause you know, like it's always in miners best interest to include any transaction that'll pay them. Right. Um, but uh, the bigger issue is, if you're trying to build like on top of this, like say you and I were trying to build blue coin as like a kind of Bitcoin that like represented something else, right? Maybe represents a pudgy penguin. Um, like, and you know, we have like 10,000 UTXOs and each of them has the like, peng or we call it penguin coin, right? Uh, each of them has like the, the marker that like, this is a penguin coin now. Um, if we wanted to like build anything on top of that, we would need to use like a full archival node that listened to all of the transactions op returns and um because any of them could have like that data right and if so if you're gonna have nodes that are like pruning op returns then you know you're you need to be really careful about like listening to the network for every single transaction it mm -hmm. winds up becoming like not very friendly for a like client right mm -hmm. and therefore not super friendly for for anyone to like build any anything on top of it um mm. so so it was kind of a hack right it was like we could add a little color or some other piece of metadata to a bitcoin like utxo that would like have some kind of uh some kind of impact on what it represents in the real world mm. um but then you also need to worry about all of the other metadata that's getting added to every other bitcoin transaction ever yeah right um and so it winds up being like not very scalable, hard to track. And that like difficulty in user experience of like needing to track like individual blocks in order to ensure that like you don't miss something that, that could impact like the state of the world for your colored coin. Cause it is just like Bitcoins getting sent with like a little extra metadata. Mm -hmm. um, that like lack of developer friendliness, I think sort of led to these things not, not becoming widely popularized as a way to represent assets on chain. Mm. Okay. So what next, right? Like we kind of see that on Bitcoin, this 
initially, like there was just pushback, right? To scaling the network to other sorts of activity outside of financial activity. Now, you know, you could say there's almost like a pushback to scaling the network, right? Like if you look at the history of Bitcoin, there is a, there actually is definitely a pushback to scaling the network, at least on, on the base layer, right? Uh, you've seen that with the the block wars, as they're called now. Um, you've seen that with, uh, you know, a, a lot of upgrades just taking years and years and years to go through because of an abundance of caution. Um, so that, I guess, gets us into our next point. Like, what does that lead us into? Does we get straight into Taproot from there? Like, what Taproot actually is and does? Yeah, I think I think we'll touch on that in a second. But, you know, one other aspect of Bitcoin that I find really interesting when it comes to, like, not just scaling, but, like, changing any part of the protocol overall is the way that consensus is achieved, right? Like, you can have user-activated soft forks, user-denied soft forks is a term that I learned today. Mm. Uh, you, can, you can have, like, miners flagging their support for something using, like, an extra bit in the block, mm -hmm. like... Um, you can have, you know, Bitcoin developers and like, you know, you can have someone submit a pull request to like the Bitcoin core, like repository on GitHub mm -hmm. and just maybe just nobody ever responds to it. And so that dev doesn't know like if there is any support for it or not. Right. Mm. Um, it's just a, like a large decentralized, like mess of a world, right? Because you have like so many different like stakeholders in Bitcoin. You have the miners, right? You have the, um, you have the users, uh, you have exchanges, right? Um, the developers themselves. Uh, and so even just from like a social coordination perspective, Bitcoin itself doesn't give you uh, that same like smaller developer community effect that you get from something like Ethereum, right? Mm. Where like if you, you know, maybe just by nature of the Ethereum foundation existing, even you know who to go to, to talk yeah. to to try mm -hmm. to get things like suggested as part of the like community driven, um, like, like hard fork meetings. Um, like there are monthly or bi-weekly sometimes like core dev meetings where like mm -hmm. permissionlessly people can attend. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so Ethereum is just like much more organized when it comes to upgrading the software or, or just like rolling out any kind of changes really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is a more centralized network in that way, right? Like they have a foundation, they have a founder that's uh, in, in the public. So um, I think it's a really interesting thing looking back at different kinds of software upgrades and how they actually went through, uh, you know, like the, what is the book called? The Block Size Wars. We talked about it last time too, but it's super interesting. The reason I thought it was a super interesting book is that it really goes through like how this stuff gets adopted by the community. And in the end, like once the community adopts it, it's hard to stop that from actually taking place in some way. Right. Like, um, I don't know, like you say this a lot, but in Bitcoin, I think it really is true that it does come down to a social consensus. And the way that's implemented is very different in different circumstances. And you see that over time, right? Um, well, yeah. what, do you, what do you mean? Like, do you have an example of like... Well, just like, you know, like certain things like the user activated soft fork, right? When there was like a debate over the block size limit, 
this guy, this pseudonymous guy, literally just posted his proposal on Twitter about a user-activated soft fork, right? There were basically only two other proposals. Uh, and then this guy was like, no, we can do this other thing, this like user-activated soft fork. And it basically completely took fire within the community. Like people started making hats, like UASF hats, um, like all this crazy stuff. And it really just picked up like kind of like a grassroots movement at the last hour too, like a, a month or two before they're, they're set to hard fork. Um, and, and so stuff like that can happen within Bitcoin. Um, and at the same time, you can also see like a lot of uh, other changes to the software, right? That are, you know, like backwards compatible as well, where like only maybe 30%, like initially when Taproot went into effect, like only like 20 or 30%, uh, you know, of, of all the nodes, I think had upgraded, like, even like six months, nine months later. Um, but it was, it was still, you know, being used by some. Um, so like, I don't know, it's just like, in the same way that you said, it's such a messy system, but things can happen in a very much uncoordinated way, when people really want them to happen. Hmm. It's pretty, it's pretty interesting, right? Um, I mean, over the years, you've seen so many people try to be like that sort of almost Ethereum Ethereum foundation of Bitcoin, right? Like you've got like Blockstream and like, I'm, you know, I, I'm not as deep in the Bitcoin community as, as some of some people are, but like there are people that are, that have tried over the years to be those like central players that like at least like influence public opinion or like social consensus it's definitely more strongly than others. Is it Blockstream? It's definitely Blockstream, it? yeah. Huh. They basically... They basically won the block size wars, right? The way people say it is like their their whole thing was to keep the block small and they make a bunch of products that are built to support, you know, like basically, you know, like, small like secondary. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, this is the old so. school FTX, like SBF going into Congress and being like, hey, guys, uh, this decentralized finance thing. Don't love that. These guys are like, yo, 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 yo. Do you guys realize what big blocks could mean for this community? <laughs> <laughs> Your constituents think <laughs> you're, you know, like, yeah, they're arguably less effective, right? Like, yeah, what if, what if Blockstream had taken the SPF approach and like gone into Congress to outlaw big blocks? <laughs> like, like that creating like would the, be pretty like, funny, actually. like the DCCPA, but for, but for big blocks. <laughs> that would be terrible. That's, that's basically what people accuse them of within the Bitcoin cash and Bitcoin, uh, unlimited communities. They're like, <laughs> yeah, guys, you guys don't want to be shills for Blockstream. You guys let Blockstream take over all Bitcoin. Now it's just a big circle jerk with all the insiders. Mm. So I don't know. You know, you can use many ways to look at the same thing. So. All right, fuck it. We're going down this rabbit hole. Wasn't mm. there something with one of the miners where, like, one of the miners stood to, like, lose if, like, blocks got bigger? They had, like, created some ASIC that was, like, only capable of, like, executing things correctly if they're, if, like, the blocks were small? Um, do, do you I know mean, anything? Would, do you remember maybe, anything about this? Okay. I know, I know when Bitcoin Cash came out, Bitmain, Bitmain's founder, Jihan Wu, was one of the biggest supporters of it and lost just exorbitant amounts of money uh pump trying to pump bitcoin cash so for like a year bitcoin cash or like for, initially it pumped a ton and then like 
it was also pumping for like i don't know it was like staying afloat for a while and then just completely nuked after he ran out of money um but hmm. yeah him and roger Ver were like the big two supporters of it uh and i think that's how they initially got miners to move over to the network but um in terms of the big miner that stood to lose a lot from big loss i'm not yeah, not totally maybe, sure. maybe that's, that's what thing. I was thinking. Is I I thought there was some there was some allegation about Bitmain having some like financial interest in the outcome of the box size wars, and maybe that that's was maybe for they sure. had like maybe they had miners with like larger RAM than their competitors or something. Um, they were able to, or they were able for whatever reason, they had some kind of hardware acceleration that worked mm. just as well on big blocks as little, and so. Um, and I, I want to say, if I remember correctly from that book, we should just do a live reading of this book. That we'll sounds do that for nice. the next Bitcoin yeah. month, yeah. You know, that uh, guy, actually, I would love to have as a guest. Um, he <laughs> works at Kraken. I can easily get him on. Um, You're kidding, really? Yeah, he works at Kraken. Um, All right. Well, can we have a listener-activated uh, guest episode? Listener-activated <laughs> guest, yes, yes. Uh, I don't know if Pete listens, but if Pete listens, I'll hit you up. Bro. I think Pete was tight with him um wait no, hassan, <laughs> hassan still works there i'll hit him up um uh, i can hit up right, jesse cool. no no i can't uh, <laughs> uh, um you can only hit him so, up for talking about very specific things dude uh, <laughs> uh okay well, we're, uh, we're gonna we'll get we're gonna on. get into his favorite we're gonna get into his favorite subject pretty soon which is what, proof uh, of Merkel, reserves Merkel trees yeah oh, Merkel <laughs> <trees>. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but uh yeah i mean just before we wrap that up like the the weird the weirdest thing to me is like if you look at even just like a core update that like everybody was on board with like segwit right where yep. it was just clearly a good thing for the network that made it more efficient right mm -hmm. um it was the same like con congress like thing where they were trying to like bundle it into like big blocks only right or yeah. something it was like the big block bill also included like a little segwit rider mm -hmm. uh or the segwit bill included a big block rider so yeah, i mean the 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 messiness there is not unlike traditional politics actually whereas the, the yeah, yeah. foundation it's much more like uh much more like a, a central party uh governing benevolent benevolently um, yeah that's true or dude, at I'm least everyone at knows where now. to go <laughs> right right dude i'm looking at it even now like segwit adoption is still in the 80 percent range you're kidding so, yeah no right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um you can check it on wooble um yeah um, but it's pretty interesting um interesting so um okay so let's 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 move on to you know because we do get some we do get some progress in the Bitcoin community. We do get some innovation and added complexity of the protocol. It takes time, mm -hmm. but we do get a bit. And mm -hmm. the most recent, um, the most recent hard was it was a hard fork was Taproot. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so, okay, real quick for the listeners here, can you explain what the difference is between a hard fork and a soft fork? Because um, I think also, I think Taproot is a soft fork, right? I'm looking at sorry, I think watch. I think I got it wrong. Yeah, I yeah, think it was um, a soft fork. Yeah, I think with ETH they tend to execute like a they lot do of their a bunch of hard, hard forks. forks. Yeah, yeah, Bitcoin really um, goes away from that. Yeah, like, I, I think part of it is like backwards compatibility, right? Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it's also just not something Bitcoin would stand for, right? Any mm -hmm. kind of like any kind of 
network upgrade that forks the network into one state versus another. Like we had so much of that back mm-hmm. in the day. Um, people don't want the fork wars. So yeah, I, th- I think it is, I think it is a tough fork. Um, basically what, um, what Taproot does, it, it does a few things. One thing that it does is it, uh, it enhances the efficiency of signatures by using something called Schnorr signatures. Mm. Love that word. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and these are like, pretty it's amazing like you go to read articles about taproot and they're like let's go through the full history of schnorr signatures and everyone that's ever like proposed like adding you know so it's like we can go back to the bitcoin talk forum back in 2014 and like trace back to like i mean the you know you'll have something like a schnorr signature that has like just universal like approval from everyone in the community nobody's like opposed to schnorr signatures they're like just better in every way from EDCSA, right? Yeah. And like the only people that actually care about this already know that. Like they've known that for six years, right? Um, and yet it still doesn't get into the Bitcoin protocol for like almost a decade uh, after after it's proposed. Um, but uh, so so that's one thing that Topper did. But the, it did this other really interesting thing, right? Which was to introduce the concept of a Taproot script. Mm. Um, do you know anything about this? No, no. Taproot scripts are fascinating. Mm. Um, so, um, so you you have a it's like a, a tree structure, effectively called it, t- called a tap script uh, branch, right? Mm. Um, and uh, and you so you have your you, you can you can picture like abstract logic as something called like an abstract syntax tree, but just imagine you have like a script, right, that runs some kind of logic. It can mm-hmm. have multiple multiple paths of logic that like fork out into like different branches based on you know binary like uh, variables, right? So I could have a script that says, you know, uh, we could call it we call it communism script, right? Where it's like <laughs> ten people vote to participate in communism. Okay. Uh, communism script holds all of their Bitcoin. Later, you look at their balances and you uh, like. Uh, distribute the Bitcoin that it has, like more, you send more of it to the people that have less Bitcoin in their addresses. Okay. You can okay. do stuff like that. Yeah, right? I see. Or, or you could have like more complex uh, versions of multi-sigs where it could mm. be like, look, like I have the real signature, but if I'm dead, maybe we let three out of five of my friends control the Bitcoin. Mm. Right. Mm. Uh, so like, I don't need any kind of like additional signatures to control this the bitcoin in this address mm-hmm. but like short of that you could have like three out of five of these multi-sig people also send the bitcoins out this address right okay right um, so these are the kinds of things that i had seen it's like different kinds of multi-sigs different kinds of basically addresses right so like on a fundamental level how does that work exactly you basically have the it's basically like an like a very simple or uh kind of thing where it's like either this one wallet or like either you get a signature from this one private key or you get a signature from three out of these five. It's just, it's it's just uh, something like that. Yeah. Like, like most logic, it comes down to like, and not, and, or, and X or right. Um, But, uh, but effectively the idea is, um, you know, Bitcoin does have scripting and we have just enough scripting now to do more interesting things like this. Mm. Right. We still don't have like full, um, like arbitrary, like programmability the way we have it in Ethereum, but, uh, but there is some scripting. What's mm-hmm. really cool about Taproot is, it, and, and we've had, we've had scripting before, right? It's, it's what enabled things like multi-sigs, right? 
Um, what's cool about Taproot is it allows you actually to post like um, a, a sort of like shielded version of the script. And then you can have um, you can have two things here, right? So you can have something like called a key spend path. This is a little bit like the scenario where like I have I have the real key, and you know, but if if I don't like, and so if I sign a transaction, I can just get the Bitcoin out. Don't worry about the script, right? That's the key script, right? Mm -hmm. um, but you can also have the like sort of shielded logic, and. Uh, if say like, you know, say I have some weird complex thing where like, I'll let you and one of my friends sign a two out of five multi-sig, but that's cause you're on my podcast and I love you, but I might have friends that I love a little bit less, right? Our listeners, for example, <laughs> all, all, all four of them might also be part of this multi-sig mm -hmm. and I might require three out of five of them. Mm. Well, Whichever one of these gets used, like whichever logical path actually gets executed, that's the only part that actually gets revealed, which is pretty interesting, mm. right? So you you have this like much more private version of scripting um, that's enabled by Taproot, okay. um, and and this kind of programmability allows you to like put a lot more complex logic in without submitting as much data. Right. Mm. Um, and so how because, does something like Taproot really come about? Right. Um, like, how do they come up with something new like this that within the confines of the original Bitcoin protocol is able to do these kinds of things? Are they taking anything off chain? Are they or is it just a different way for the same kind of fundamental structures like base? you know, like units, like the wallets uh, that have already been kind of created, like, are they just building on the same primitives in a different way that nobody's tapped into yet? Or what exactly is this upgrade? Like, how is that, how is it exactly enabled? So uh, as you create, like, um, uh, as you, as you create like new functionality on Bitcoin, um, every piece of like new possibility is introduced in something called a BIP, mm -hmm. a Bitcoin improvement proposal. Um, some of them do require like adding code to Bitcoin core. Many of them do. Some of mm -hmm. them don't. And they're just like, you know, like EIP like 20, right. For, or like ERC 20, right. That's just like a standard. Mm -hmm. Um, you can have BRCs, but you can also have BIPs that like don't touch the code. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're just sort of like created by the community. Right. Um, in the case of Taproot, uh, it does require like a fair amount of code to be added, uh, to the, um, to the Bitcoin protocol itself to allow you to do things like when, like, you know, when I sign a transaction that touches one of these like private scripts, um, I will, you know, like say the two out of five multi-sig path is getting, is getting like activated. So you and another friend are like signing a transaction, to, like spend the Bitcoin out of my address. Um, you have to post the code that makes up that branch of logic. Right? Mm. And so you can imagine it a, a little bit like there's a hash of the branch sitting there, right? We don't know exactly what data hashes to that to that hash. Um, and then you and whoever know that part of the script and you have your private keys. And so you'd submit the signed script to the blockchain and then the miners can verify, okay, yeah, this script matches the hash that I see with the initial transaction. Um, and so it's a, it's almost a little bit like ZK, right? Where you have mm. some kind of logic getting done that's not necessarily like revealed in full, 
but can still be proven to be valid. Mm. Um, and uh, it's just with the added caveat of like the part of it that you're using is revealed, right? Uh, like, you know, so the piece of code where it's like, if Grant plus friend um, submit transaction or, you know, submit private key or submit signed transaction, then send the Bitcoin, mm. right? Like you might have to include that like source code effectively. Um, and then any miner can look at that, hash it and be like, oh, okay, yeah, that matches like this piece of the Taproot script. Mm. Um, so it allows it to be like way, way, way more efficient, right? Without posting like a huge amount of data on chain. Mm-hmm. And then you and all my friends and whoever I want to like know how this thing works, um, you can have the source code off chain and like share it as needed when when it's time to actually like call these transactions. Or you could share nothing if like I have this like master key that allows me to send the Bitcoin. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, so that's really Taproot's big thing. And it's really cool, right? Like the ability to have like they call it pruned like script data mm. where you don't send the whole script. You definitely don't send the whole script on chain because that would be wasteful if you're only going to execute like one of the outcomes, right? Um, at the most, you should just submit the the minimum that you need, which is like the script, the part of the script, like the, the logical path that it actually follows. Mm. And so all of that part, all, all of that stuff that you mentioned that is like stored off chain, like where is that done? Like where is that stored? You, locally, you would have like to hold on to a copy wallet. of it. Yeah. Okay. I see. Um, you know, this is a relatively recent, um, like for like software of Bitcoin. So mm-hmm. it's not, you know, it's not something that gets used all the time. Uh, and you know, I'd imagine that like the people that are actually making use of this feature, either your wallet holds it in a cloud storage somewhere. Or like you're just a developer and you just hold on to that code, right? Mm-hmm. Or um, I would imagine you're using it through some kind of service that is managing all of that for you, right? Like either I don't know what exchange offers it, but like, yeah, I don't know. yeah, some it would it pro- pro- <laughs> it'd probably be Kraken Bitcoin Exchange, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. so that's um, yeah, you'd have some kind of service managing it for you or something. Um, yeah, so. Uh, you know, I mean, you could imagine actually like some kind of dead man switch, right? Where like, I, you know, if I, if I die, I want my Bitcoin to be accessible by a certain number of like addresses, but I don't tell them who they are until I die. Uh, and so I have to post, you know, maybe I have to post something on the Bitcoin blockchain every day. And if I don't for 10 days straight, then another transaction gets revealed or something that has like the full script. Mm. Um, I, I don't know. Um, yeah. there's, mm. there's all sorts of interesting things that you, that you can do here. Um, but, but generally the philosophy is to keep as much logic off chain as possible, mm. both from a like privacy perspective and just to be considerate to like everyone that's running like a full archival node. Mm. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So that's generally a summary of what Taproot is, how it works. Right. Um, mm-hmm. let's get into Taro. First of all, what is the relationship between Taproot and Taro? Um, you know, Taproot is the first part of the Taro acronym. So, I know, what is the relationship there? And then, like, what, just generally speaking, what exactly is Taro? Uh, yeah, so so Taproot uh, enables features such as these, like, Taproot scripts that are necessary for Taro to exist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
so um Sotaro itself is is meant to be like a a protocol for issuing like non-Bitcoin assets on the Bitcoin blockchain. Um so you could imagine this being like a stable coin, right? Um or a rep, you know what whatever token you want you want to invent like could be could be uh created on on chain on Bitcoin. Um is the idea. Okay. Uh, it works with Bitcoin and it's meant to work with Lightning. So yeah. this is why initially like one of our listeners wrote in was like Yo, you guys, you know, like at, at the end of our, our last Bitcoin deep dive on the Lightning Network, we'll link it in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of that, uh, we kind of came to this conclusion that Lightning was like, was extremely cool, right? Peer to peer had a lot of promise, but hadn't really picked up. And one of the reasons for that, I, I think the primary reason for that is that people don't want to spend their Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. It's like pretty, pretty plain and simple, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I want to spend my fiat. It's devaluing, right? I think Bitcoin will go up over time, so I don't want to spend it, right? Um, and natively, Bitcoin is the only asset on the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, and so, you know, it, it means that like all of this incredibly cool tech, like the Lightning Network, can't really be used in a way that like most people would demand to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that brings us to Taro which is a way to to issue non-Bitcoin assets or like representations of those assets on the Bitcoin blockchain. Very, very cool. Mm. Okay, let's get into it. How does that even happen? How does, the, how does this exist? <laughs> how does this exist? I, this um, one, we don't really even need to get into why this, this exists. Like if this is a possibility, you know, it enables quite a bit, I think. Um, but yeah, how it's, does this it's not just that it enables like quite a bit, but it also represents like a potential on ramp for a lot of people to Bitcoin, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, in a way that like a lot of people have entered Ethereum not because of ETH but because of NFTs mm-hmm. or because of stablecoin payments. A lot of people probably have phantom wallets for primarily USDC, mm-hmm. and the Solana in your wallet is like an afterthought, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Bitcoin doesn't have that yet. Bitcoin is just Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this, this could be like, um, you know, it, not just like better than some of these other networks because it builds off of like a lot of decentralization and strong, strong security, but also better just because it creates like a use case for everyone out here to you actually use the Bitcoin blockchain and lightning network. Um, mm. how does this exist? Great mm-hmm. question. Um, so, so effectively, um, the, the, the way that it works, right. Is, you know, if you have like, if you have an asset, you have to like issue it and then you have to like send it to people. Mm -hmm. So let's, I guess, start with like issuing or like minting a new asset. Right. Um, so within the tarot protocol, each asset has, uh, like, like an asset ID, um, which is basically like that, you know, the hash of the transaction that creates it. Right. It's this like Genesis ID, they call it. Okay. Um, so, um, and then, you know, so it's got your like G- Genesis outpoint uh, is the, the name of that, the asset tag and the asset metadata. Okay. Um, and so the tag might be USDC and the metadata might be like circle.com slash USDC or something, okay. right? Um, then you have your transaction that actually creates the the asset, right? Um, 
each asset is represented by a Merkle tree. Mm. So this is where, mm. this is where like Jesse Powell would get kind of into this. Mm. Um, and it creates some kind of interesting properties that I think like make it pretty compelling. So, uh, so the Merkle tree, right. It's like, it's a special kind of Merkle tree called a Merkle sum tree, okay. um, where you can, where, where effectively you, you get like the hot, so a Merkle tree to review, um, and definitely check out our proof of reserves episode if you're like still, uh, you know, new to this, Yeah. but effectively a Merkle tree will allow you to check that your holdings are included in a tree of assets in, a, mm -hmm. in a, like a list of assets. Right. And it does that efficiently through like hashing. And you can basically check that like the hash of your like wallet balance is included in the overall Merkle tree mm -hmm. that sums to a certain amount. Right. Um, and so when like, let's say like you and I go to circle and we're like, Hey, please issue USDC on Bitcoin. Right. And you give them 10 bucks and I give them five bucks. Right. Um, circle then circle will like sign this transaction that takes the, the, the root of the Merkle tree and post it to the chain as part of like a top root script. Right. Mm. Um, and then they can give us the like source code effectively for that top root script okay. that we can verify against it. Okay. So I see. they can give us the info, like you have $10, I have $5, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they'll say here, your public address is this, your balance is that hash it and check the Merkle tree to see if it's in there. Mm. Um, then you can also check the sum of all of the leaves of this tree and make sure that we only printed 15 USDC because mm. you have 10 and I have five. Right, right, right. right. Okay. Um, so it's a way for every person that interacts with, is, is this considered a contract? Um, or you know, it's, I, it's just kind of a tree of balances, right? So mm -hmm. this tree itself wouldn't get posted on chain. Right. Mm. Um, just the root of it would, would yeah, get okay. posted on chain. Okay. And but then, it's a way, um, like fundamentally, it's a way for every person that interacts, I guess, with the uh, with the Merkle tree to verify that, independently verify that they have made it into the list of transactions. Um, yeah, to verify that their their public key is associated with whatever balance. Mm. Right. Um, okay. So it's a balance that you're checking for, not, not an actual transaction. No, it's, it's a balance within, within that Merkle tree. Okay. Um, and they use something called a, like a sparse Merkle tree, which is like not necessary to get into. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but this is basically a tree that like links addresses to balances. Mm. Um, and so you can do a couple of interesting things with this, with the setup, right? The first one is. If I, if I want to prove to someone that I have five Bitcoin USDC, um, given my address and they have like the, the Merkle, like the Merkle tree with all the hashes, mm -hmm. they can hash my, my address and my balance of, of five and check for that within the leaves of the tree. Mm. Um, so they can verify that like a, that like circle has only minted in fact, 15 USDC. Okay. Um, and B that my address has five of those, right? Mm. Anybody that has access to like that data can do that. Okay. Um, yeah. Then let's say like, I want to send my USDC to someone else. Like I want to tip someone one, one USDC, right? Mm. Um, I have to create a new tree, 
right? So, so this is where like the off-chain stuff happens is like, we all have this data of like what the tree is, right? Uh, of like all of the different hashes. What I need to do is generate a new tree that adds a leaf for the person that I want to tip, right? And deletes the leaf for, for me. And then it's like a UTXO, right? So my, my unspent four yeah. will go to a different public key. Mm. And then my spent one will go to someone else. And then my old one needs to be updated to zero. needs to be removed from the tree. Okay, right? I see. Um, and, and I need to be able to prove that too. Mm. Okay. And this happens anytime you're initiating a new transaction with a new wallet. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, the the tree needs to be updated and given my signature for that like address that holds five Bitcoin USDC, mm -hmm. um, the taproot contract will allow me to post a new valid Merkle root that that has that, right? Um mm. and so uh and so it's effectively like updating the state of the balances of everyone. Right. It's that's, that's kind of the idea. Okay. Um, and it just uses Merkle trees and some fancy math to, to make sure that it's getting done correctly. Okay. Um, and this, that's hmm? yeah, yeah, go ahead. Uh, that, that's kind of the idea for like how it lives on chain on Bitcoin. It's mm. a little bit like a list of addresses that people are able to check without having to post all of the data directly on chain, which would be prohibitively expensive, um, and difficult to verify and all of that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, here we just have this one, like, utxo that like we need to track and then it can get like it's merkle tree like updated by by people that hold the tokens and um, so yeah and so at a very basic level like just on the token creation level right how is this mm -hmm. different than how tokens are either created or transferred on ethereum or any other kind of you know, layer one blockchain, you know, similar to that. So in a layer one blockchain, um, like when an ERC 20 is created on Ethereum, for example, um, it's pretty much the same idea, right? That like you mint, you, you create the token and mint whatever supply, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but the full, uh, like the full data involved um, on Ethereum, it's stored directly on chain, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Whereas on Bitcoin, um, it's just enough data stored on chain to verify how many were minted. And mm. then if you're someone that got minted to, you can also verify that like your, your balance is included as well. Mm. Okay. I see. And so like, once again, right, that off-chain storage where exactly does that happen? Do you have to be running a like taproot specific node or something like that um, to verify all the transactions coming through? Do they get verified locally? Like, do you have to be doing that on your end? Like the, all that off chain work, like where exactly does that happen? So when the, um, when the balances get updated, the like you can think of it like a like a ledger like its own little ledger actually mm -hmm. um and we just kind of have like a hash of the ledger sitting on chain so that mm -hmm. people can verify a that they have like the correct copy of it and b that like their uh balance is present in that copy mm. right um and so when you want to update the ledger you do have to send a transaction on the bitcoin blockchain mm. right um now this like taproot script is smart enough to check that like the update that gets sent is like valid right um and then after that happens 
you need to tell everyone else in the network about it. Um, so, you know, uh, it's not super scalable out of the box, right? Like it, it does sort of, the thing is it kind of has to adhere to Bitcoin's like, let's put a little bit less data on chain approach. Mm -hmm. Um, but then from there it can reach scalability through the lightning network, Mm. right? So Ethereum just has a lot more data being sent, right? And you pay for that, right? Like for an Ethereum transaction, you pay generally more than you do for a Bitcoin transaction, depending on the day, mm-hmm. right? Um, if you need to interact with any of these contracts, storing data on chain is actually quite expensive. Mm. Whereas with Bitcoin, like it's just kind of agreed upon that there's a maximum amount of data we can put on this chain and nobody abuses it. Mm. Um, part of the reason nobody abuses it is because you can't have like full contracts on there. Yeah, but there's... you can have things like verifying Merkle trees, mm. right? Uh, yeah, yeah, and so yeah. if you play, if you play by the rules, you can do the logic that you need to on Bitcoin. Um, but you can't just have like the full trees sitting there on chain. Okay, that um, makes sense. This so is... it would be like its own peer-to-peer network. Where yeah, I'm telling you, here's what's going on. Circle has a copy of it. Everyone else has a copy of it, and it's fully verifiable that like only valid things changed, right? Um, and it's reflected on chain as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but it's not sitting on the Bitcoin blockchain. Okay. And so you're basically running like, what, what, what would that be called? You're running a taproot node or something like that? Uh, well, I guess the taproot node would check the state of the chain. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would be more like, like taproot does other shit too. Right. Um, mm-hmm. it's not, this is not like the only application of taproot scripts. Right. Mm-hmm. So this would be like a Taro node or mm. like you know what's more likely is each asset issuer would have their own peer-to-peer gossip protocol that people are using to relay back and forth like what the state of usdc on bitcoin is okay that makes sense so you have like one usdc peer-to-peer gossip network you have one for like die or whatever um one for usdt one for any other asset that you want to make mm. um so you know, in reality, like Circle is going to be the ones like keeping track of most of this. Um, and most people are just going to trust them. Um, but there will be some peer to peer nature of it as well. And has Circle already announced plans to launch using Taro? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's still, it's still pretty experimental, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I would expect to see Tether go first, right? That makes more um, sense. Yeah. If not, like we should just do it because where it gets really powerful is on the Lightning Network. Mm, um, okay, so Taro on Lightning, what exactly is going on there? So, uh, like the Lightning Network, you know, like just just quick recap, right? Involves creating payment channels, mm-hmm. right? So you and I might create like a bidirectional payment channel, right? Um, yep. And check out our deep dive if you don't know what that means. Yeah, check out the Lightning Network deep dive. Um, Historically, uh, what we what we've done is we've created a bidirectional payment channel with Bitcoin, but with Taro, we could actually create one that primarily settles in USDC, for example. Mm. So you put in your ten USDC, I put in my five. We sign an exit transaction that sends our assets back to us, right? Mm. And um, and the whole thing looks just like Lightning Network. Ah. Where now we're sending each other USDC instead of sending each other Bitcoin. That's cool. Where it gets really compelling and like fascinating is um, you can have like a little bit more complex logic, right? Where 
Um, you know, today you say I'm willing to send my Bitcoin to anyone that I have a channel open with in exchange for like one basis point per day or mm -hmm, of like additional mm -hmm. Bitcoin, right? Um, what I might say is I'm willing to send USDC to anyone and accept Bitcoin mm -hmm. at the price of $17,000 of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And someone else might say, I'm willing to accept Bitcoin and send euros at the price of 17,000 mm. or 18,000 euros per Bitcoin. Mm. Um, and someone else might say, I'm willing to send, you know, to send Bitcoin and accept dollars or whatever, right? So you can have composable, or I'm willing to send a pudgy penguin <laughs> in exchange for this much Bitcoin, mm. right? Um, and someone else might say, I'm willing to send a pudgy penguin in exchange for this much, you know, or I'll buy one for this much Bitcoin. So, so okay. If you, yeah, hold on. Fin <laughs> yeah. Finish up the thought. Well, think about the network now, right? Yeah. yeah. Today, primarily like the, the liquidity that's available on the lighting. Yeah. Before I go into more, even more examples. Mm -hmm. So uh, the liquidity that's available today is primarily available in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, well, and it it'll probably be, remain right? that it's constrained. Well, yeah, yeah. I guess it's, it's, uh, because if well, like um, circle has an issue, then like, you know, what other, yeah, I mean, Taro, Taro itself uh, went live, I think back in September on Bitcoin, just like layer one. Right. Um, and I, I think they were planning to do a couple of months of testing and stuff, um, before they like enable, um, lightning, but I, I actually think on testnet you're able to use Taro on lightning today, mm. which is pretty interesting. Mm. Um, so, uh, so if you think about the liquidity here, right, maybe like you and I have a channel open and you and your other friend have a channel open, but I don't have a channel with them mm -hmm. and I'm hanging out with your friend and we're in Europe. So I want to send them some euros. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, you know, uh, I don't have any euros. Mm -hmm. You might be willing to quote me a euro to Bitcoin, um, you know, exchange rate, but like, you know, let's say maybe it's your friend's friend that I'm hanging out with now that like transfer. So we're going me to you, to your friend, to their friend. I have dollars. I send you some dollars. You send some Bitcoin to your friend, mm. your friend sends some euros to their friend. Mm. Um, and so you really only need the, the like Bitcoin on and off ramp. If you think about it that way, you only need that Bitcoin denominated liquidity at the like start and finish of the, of the like transaction network. Mm. It could be in the last one or it could be the second to last one, right? Um, generally it's, uh, they've been in documentation, it's the second to last one. So your friend does the exchange of, so I send you Bitcoin or dollars or whatever, yeah. you send Bitcoin to the next person. And then if they're the last person in line, they do the conversion there and send it to the last person. Mm. Um, okay. So, so uh, okay. With some of these, like, you know, these traditional currencies, I get it. You have an issuer, they can, they have these kind of synthetic assets on chain or on Bitcoin blockchain. What about something like a pudgy penguin, which you, you know, mentioned? It's like, how can you have a pudgy penguin on the Bitcoin blockchain using Taro? Uh, like, are you referring to the actual like ERC-20 asset or just like something else? Like a new something kind else, of, just, yeah, just yeah. conceptually. Just like a, yeah, okay, okay. Conceptually NFTs, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. okay, 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 cool. Um, yeah. And, so um, and this actually this makes thing, it possible yeah. to create like exactly. non-fungible tokens, mm -hmm. right? Uh, yeah. Cause I'm sure it's the same thing. You can assign some kind of metadata attached to each kind of each new token that you're creating. 
Yeah. So instead of HTTPS colon slash slash like circle.com slash icon.png, mm. now you can go to IPFS if you wanted to and have the image of each pudgy penguin mm. uh, sitting in the metadata of the tarot contract mm. or not contract, but the tarot like transaction. Yeah, um, I see. I see. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Well, if there's NFTs on Bitcoin, maybe people will start moving back to Bitcoin. That would be hilarious. Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my lord, that would be incredible. The Bitcoiners would be so pissed. Mm, God, yeah. They would all just have fun staying poor, you know? As they say, like, everybody's getting rich on Bitcoin NFTs and, like, Bitcoin <laughs> price is flat at 17k for the next 10 years. <laughs> I um, mean, you know, it is a good question, right? Like, is this bullish for Bitcoin? I mean, as with everything, it depends on the adoption, right? Like I've learned to understand that the tech actually doesn't matter. Um, so, you know, Say like, it's adopted then. Yeah. Super bullish. Yeah. This is like, I mean, you're bringing a lot of the coolest parts of Ethereum over to Bitcoin. Right. Um, so yeah, yeah I think but, that, but I mean, do you think like, like, is that in terms of just like demand for gas? Or for payments or or what because like the lightning network is obviously like way cheaper to settle on yeah. even than like eth right it's effectively like a bitcoin layer too but like good peer for sure yeah um i think that some like something like tar like the stable coin example that you mentioned you know uh, taro on lightning like if you use lightning network it's actually a really great experience like using something like breeze wallet um it's nice so like i think that there is a really strong use case where if Bitcoin is kind of the, or like sats right on the lightning network are the settlement layer or like the, sorry, not the settlement layer. Bitcoin is the settlement layer. Sats are the gas token and you can have any asset being exchanged all around pretty similar to what we mentioned on the lightning network, right? You can have basically a mass amount of Bitcoin being staked. You have these like currency markets almost right uh, across payment channels uh, across the world. Um, it, but it really depends on the adoption um, and like what kind of stuff people build. You know, you could have said that, you, you know, there's a way in which, you know, Ethereum could have also gone sideways if people weren't actually building stuff on top of it. Now we have like some useful applications, some stuff that people like, right? Um, there's not, tornado cash. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> tornado cash and USDC, right? We have two applications <laughs> now. Um, so, um, yeah, I don't know. It really depends. Like, I think people will be incentivized, or I don't know if they will be incentivized. They might be incentivized to uh, try new things, create new things, mint new types of assets. Um, if, if the if the tech is cool enough and it actually provides value then people will build cool things, which will bring more people, which is adoption. And then that's bullish for Bitcoin. I guess, I guess I'm wondering more from like a fundamental perspective, right. Of like, if, you know, 99% of the transactions happening on Bitcoin are actually happening on lightning mm -hmm. where like, you don't have to pay miners to like secure immediately at least. Mm -hmm. And if 99% of those transactions are happening in USDC, in Bitcoin USDC or whatever, mm -hmm. how much how much does Bitcoin actually get used here, right? Um, well, it doesn't get used. I mean, that's kind of the whole point, right? You, you, or how, how much how much Bitcoin are people going to have to buy? 
Well, they won't have to buy any. They won't have to buy any for the network to be just functioning, right? Like people don't buy Bitcoin because they think they're going to use it. Even now, you have to you have to buy a bit, right, to pay your gas for opening your channel on the Lightning Network, right? Oh, but so there's definitely doing like that. a bit of incremental demand. I know. But well, if you want to, you know, if you want to use, if you want to use Taro on Lightning, yeah. you need a channel. No, 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 I know, no, no. Kind, I'm right? just saying right now. The current state yeah, is that right nobody's, nobody's, that, nobody's yeah. using Bitcoin. No, but like just as like broadly, right? The buyer set, right, is not using it for its utility or is not buying it for its utility. It's buying it for its kind of, I guess, use use as a store of value, not use as a gas token, right? So I don't think this changes that very much. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess from a fundamentals perspective, it's hard to see like a huge amount of incremental demand from Bitcoin, even if this takes off successfully. Not for Bitcoin itself, but I do think that the same way that people are using ETH and they just kind of get introduced to the concept of ETH and they're like, oh, well, you know what? Instead of just like cashing out into USDC, I'm just going to like hold ETH now. Uh, it's kind of the same effect, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That would be really cool. Yeah. I think it'd be interesting if that happened. Um, NFTs priced in Bitcoin. Yeah. Trying wow. to just like stock sats by flipping, flipping Bitcoin, Bitcoin based shitcoins. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Flip penguins, get ETH, <laughs> flip more penguins on ETH to get more Bitcoin based penguins, flip those <laughs> to get more Bitcoin. A beautiful world. Satoshi's true vision. <laughs> uh, I think that's a good place to wrap. You got anything else on Taro or Taproot? Uh, no, I think it's really cool and it's exciting stuff. And I hope I hope it gets widely adopted. Um, and if it doesn't, I think we should do it. Yeah, the stablecoin idea sounds fantastic. I'm I'm into that. Yeah, yeah. Why oh, not? Yeah. Why Get not? Acquired by Circle. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. All right. We'll leave you with that bit of alpha, listeners. All right, this has been the deep dive on Taro. We will be back in a few days with a recap of everything that happened this week. Have a good week, everybody. Stay safe. Till then, stay decent. Uh, none of this was financial advice, legal advice, investment advice, or any other kind of advice. Uh, if you're looking for advice, you are definitely in the wrong place. Uh, until next time, stay decent.